a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. You know, I, I start each and every show by reciting the Second Amendment. I've done this since 2004, uh, but it's especially appropriate today because today we're going to be talking about one of the left's most desperate desires the desire to repeal the Second Amendment. Yeah. Now, you find these uh, uh, opinion pieces pop up on occasion. I just did a, a Google search a little bit ago. Here's a few of them. It's time to repeal the Second Amendment. Understanding the Rittenhouse verdict. Oh, we've got to have a long-term commitment to the repeal of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is a $280 billion mistake. Repeal it. Yeah. E every couple of months, we get a column or two like this. The... Uh, verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial has prompted many on the left uh, to declare that, yes, it is in fact time for the Second Amendment to be repealed. Uh, the latest is a cartoonist and columnist, Ted Rawl, who has been doing this for years. I can remember uh, when I back when I lived in Oklahoma City, so this is pre-2004, the local weekly paper, the Oklahoma Gazette, carried Ted Rawl's column uh, and, and cartoon on a regular basis. And I remember rolling my eyes back then. It hasn't gotten any better. So this is Ted Rawls' uh, latest cartoon regarding our right to keep and bear arms. Uh, how scary. The Supreme Court might kill New York's gun control law. What do you expect? It's clearly anti-constitutional. Open carry New York City? No way. So repeal the Second Amendment. Impossible, says the moderate liberal. Instead, liberals must embrace cognitive dissonance, fight to keep laws we know aren't close to constitutional, and doomed. It's only logical, he writes. What's fascinating to me about this is Ted Rawl does recognize that the Constitution, I mean, unlike a lot of gun control activists out there, Ted Rawl recognizes that the Constitution actually does protect the right of the people to keep and bear arms. And I'll give Rawl credit for not going through the cognitive dissonance of trying to keep laws on the books that curtail the exercise of our constitutional rights. I, I, I think that Ted Rawls' uh, desire to repeal the Second Amendment, look, I, I, can, I, I don't agree with it, obviously, but I can respect that position of, well, we need to repeal the Second Amendment. This is outdated. This is ridiculous. Nobody needs to have a gun. I can respect somebody who says we need to repeal the Second Amendment far more than I can respect somebody who says, you know what? We should just ignore the Second Amendment, which is what gun control activists have been saying, at least the vast majority of them, for decades now. So let's get into Rawls' column. Uh, he, he says, quote, uh, a national constitution ought to reflect a society's fundamental values by defining a set of legal principles that can be periodically adjusted in order to reflect a society's changing mores, culture, and technology. By that standard, he writes, our constitution's woefully out of date. From the electoral college to gun rights to the hilariously archaic right to refuse to quarter troops in your home and the $20 threshold for a civil jury trial, the U.S. Constitution, he writes, contains many head-scratching relics of an America that we wouldn't recognize. Living in the age of the musket, James Madison might not be so quick to argue for legalizing the AR-15, assuming that a well-regulated state militia was still a thing. You know, I, th this is one of the common tropes for somebody who says, well, we got to repeal the Second Amendment. It's outdated. It's anachronistic. 
founding fathers never could have envisioned a day when people could walk around with uh, high-powered semi-automatic rifles while willy-nilly and like, right? Well, if that's the case, then those same founding fathers could never have envisioned a press that allows any Joe Schmo to sit in front of a web camera in their home office and do a show every day and load it to the internet for the whole world to watch. Founding Fathers never could have envisioned a day in which mass media was so readily available to the American people, not only to consume, but to produce as well. So if the Second Amendment is outdated, why isn't the First Amendment outdated? And, you know, Ted Rawl can laugh about the Third Amendment, all these antiquated and archaic ideas, but it's weird how they never include the First Amendment. In, in their uh, list of uh, constitutional amendments that should be repealed and, and, and potentially replaced, right? That one they like, and so that one they leave alone. Uh, Rawl says, a work of genius, the U.S. Constitution is not, says the cartoonist. It's almost impossible to amend. I mean, it's been amended more than 20 times. In fact, he says it's the hardest to amend in the world. The immutability of the document is highlighted by the inability of the world's most powerful democracy to enshrine a right as basic as gender equality, a principle that the vast majority of other countries, even dictatorships and authoritarian regimes, have managed to include, at least in theory, in their founding charters. Well, there's the rub, isn't it? I mean, one of the most progressive, quote-unquote, constitutions in history was Stalin's Constitution of the Soviet Union, which I think was 1934. I, I, I don't have the date right in front of me. 1934, 1937, I think it was 1934, mid-1930s. And that document, holy moly, there was equality of the sexes. Everything was great. And people could speak their minds. People had the freedom to vote. There were, you know, multi-party elections. Uh, it, was, it was great on paper. In reality, you were living under the totalitarian thumb of Joseph Stalin. You were liable to be disappeared in the middle of the night if you dared make a joke about the fearless leader. So yeah, in theory, there are lots of countries that have constitutions that you could look at and say, huh, I wish we had that in ours. But in practice, I would argue that the United States gets it right. But Ted Rawl obviously disagrees. And uh, he uses the Rittenhouse trial as his sort of jumping off point to uh, rail against our right to keep and bear arms. He says, Lefty's complaints about the not guilty verdict and the recently concluded Kyle Rittenhouse trial prompted me to start thinking about the question of what a 2021 constitutional convention would have come up with. Legal experts weren't surprised that Rittenhouse got away with killing two men and wounding a third. By every credible account, the jury followed Wisconsin law. And then he quotes Gavin Newsom. America today, you can break the law, carry around weapons built for a military, shoot and kill people and get away with it. Raw says, well, yeah. Not because the jury messed up, because they followed the law. So, but Gavin Newsom just said that Kyle Rittenhouse broke the law. And now the jury followed the law to, I, again, it's confusing. Here's the thing. Maybe, just maybe, Ted Roll's wrong. Maybe Gavin Newsom has it wrong. Maybe those individuals who say, well, I don't like the outcome, so the law must be changed. Maybe they're the ones who are wrong. 
Not that they would ever consider such a thing. Rawl says, if you don't think the law should allow a 17-year-old kid to take an AR-15 military-style assault rifle to a riot, play junior vigilante super cop, and wind up shooting three people, I agree. The root of that craziness, however, is not to yell vague complaints about the state of America. It is to repeal or amend the antiquated Second Amendment. Yeah. Rawl goes on to say, the constitutional right to keep American arms is a uniquely American oddity. Only two other nations besides the U.S. have one, Mexico and Guatemala. And those two countries' gun laws are nowhere as liberal as ours. Mexico bans the sale and possession of automatic or semi-automatic firearms entirely. There's only one gun shop in the entire country on a heavily guarded army base in Mexico City. Yeah, and by the way, how well is that working out, Ted? Should we compare Mexico's violent crime rate to that of the United States? Now, I know, again, that Raw would say, well, that's because these guns are getting smuggled south of the border and they're fueling cartel violence, which sounds like a border issue to me, not a gun issue. And I would agree. We have a border issue. It may very well be that Mexican cartels are arming themselves to one degree or another with guns that were originally manufactured in the United States. They're also, however, arming themselves with guns that were legally exported to Mexico meant for the military, meant for the police, were then diverted into cartel hands. They're arming themselves with uh, military weaponry acquired in Central America, which is awash with uh, firearms, illicitly obtained and illicitly held. And by the way, these same drug cartels that are illegally acquiring firearms are also illegally pumping massive amounts of drugs into the United States. And as high as Mexico's murder rate is, our drug overdose death rate is even higher in the United States. We had over 100,000 fatal drug overdoses in 2020. Number expected to be even higher this year. That That's a staggering number. And again, much of that is fueled by the drug cartels in Mexico. So if Mexico would like to curtail cartel violence, they believe that, you know, well, we have fewer guns coming across the border. I'd like to curtail drug overdose deaths. I believe if we had fewer drugs coming across the border, that, that would be a help. But again, the issue is border security, not my right to keep and bear arms. Anyway, uh, Rawl then uh, goes on to say, a brand new United States freshly liberated from the yoke of British colonialism probably wouldn't draft a Second Amendment as we know it. We're no longer a rural society. 95% of Americans don't hunt, and guns have gotten bigger and scarier. So is that true? I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a hypothetical exercise. But based on what we know about the founders, based on what we know about the attitudes of the uh, American public at the founding, is it true? Is it reasonable to believe that if... We never had the War of Independence in the 1770s, in the early 1780s, and instead we had it now, or we just got through having it, and we're set up our own constitution. Would Americans say, you know what, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we should be able to own guns. I don't, I don't think that should be a right, because the guns got, they're big and scary. No, I don't think so. Again, if we're talking about a nation of the American people as we know them today, throwing off the yoke of tyranny, as they did in 1783, or 1776, if you want to date it from the Declaration of Independence, I, I would argue that the size and uh, so-called scariness of the firearms would not actually matter much to the American people. Uh, instead, I mean, first of all, again, think about it, if you're throwing off the yoke of British imperialism, 
The American people may very well have used firearms to do that. And no, I don't think a newly independent nation and a newly free people would uh, suddenly decide that uh, the tools that they use to gain their independence should suddenly be banned and the possession of them should be criminalized. I, I realize, again, that's how it works in a lot of you know socialist countries, right? The commies, I mean, I, look, you can find all kinds of quotes about Marx and uh, need to arm the workers. And it just, you know, it's weird. It never really sticks. Once the commies are in charge, the ability to own a firearm disappears. Because now, now you don't need to worry about protecting yourself because now the state can protect you. No, I don't think that the American people in 2021 would be any more likely to adopt that point of view than Americans were in 1776 or 1783 or 1787 or 1791. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Now, Rawl says one in three Americans own a gun, so guns would probably remain legal. But there'd be regulations limiting firepower and some sort of licensing regime. So so kind of like what they have in California or New York, right? Following endless mass shootings, he writes, Americans currently favor stronger gun control laws by a 64 to 28% margin, according to an April 2021 political poll. Why isn't he quoting the more recent polls showing a steep decline in support for gun control laws? I wonder. I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, he says uh, almost half, 46%, said that limiting gun ownership was more important. Again, almost half said that limiting gun ownership was more important than protecting the Second Amendment, while 44% said that gun ownership rights were a higher priority. If gun rights made it into our new constitution, odds are that such a provision would be far weaker than what we have now. Maybe. I mean, there's an easy way to, to test that theory, Ted. Try to repeal the Second Amendment. <laughs> Go for it. Nobody's stopping you. That's the thing. And, and of course, the built-in excuse is, well, it's too hard to do. Listen, Ted. If the Anti-Saloon League and the Women's Christian Temperance Union could convince the country to ban alcohol, you and your fellow anti-gun progressives should be able to persuade Americans to give up their right to keep and bear arms, right? I mean, we've taken some pretty extraordinary steps by amending the Constitution of the past. But the thing is that those ideas have to be broadly popular in order for the Constitution to be amended. You're right. It is hard to change the Constitution because you are fundamentally changing the framework of our government, and that's not something to be done lightly. So, yeah, you can try to repeal the Second Amendment. I don't think you're going to be successful at doing so. Why? Because less than half of Americans, for example, in the poll that you used, say it's more important to restrict gun ownership than it is to protect the right to keep and bear arms. The level of support that would be needed to repeal the Second Amendment just isn't there. And as a matter of fact, much to the dismay and chagrin of folks like Ted Rawl, there are more people on the left who are also embracing their right to keep and bear arms. So support for the Second Amendment is actually becoming a bipartisan, nonpartisan experience, which I believe is a very good thing. I think it's the way that it should be. But again, for all of those who say the Second Amendment should go away, it's time to repeal the Second Amendment. My question is simply, what's stopping you? I mean, 
not what's stopping you from succeeding. I know the answer to that. But what's stopping you from trying? Because otherwise, all you're doing is impotently bitching on the internet about a right that you don't like. Well, I, good for you, but that and $5 will get you an overpriced cup of coffee at uh, Starbucks. It's If you really believe that the Second Amendment should go away, start pushing for it. But it's got to take more than an op-ed piece. It's got to take more than a column. Again, look at your fellow prohibitionists in history. Look at what the Anti-Saloon League did. Look at Wayne Wheeler, the head of the Anti-Saloon League. But be prepared, prohibitionists, because the desire to criminalize a fundamental right can take you to some very dark places. We already see this with gun control, right? In New York, if you carry a firearm, if you possess a firearm in your home without a government-issued permission slip, the state of New York considers that to be a violent felony offense. And the state of New York will put you in prison for doing so. I mean, again, I think that's pretty draconian. But we could go even further. We could go even further. You know, back during the 1920s, when Prohibition was in effect, the Anti-Saloon League was a big fan of denaturing industrial alcohol, uh, adding toxic chemicals to industrial alcohol so that you couldn't turn it into, you know, bathtub gin uh, without it being poisonous. And when thousands of Americans became sick and died because they were drinking illicit alcohol, well, the attitude of Wayne Wheeler and the Anti-Saloon League was, yeah, they got what was coming to them. They knew the risks. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think if you get to a point where you're trying to save lives, supposedly, and you're excusing away the deaths of thousands of Americans because uh, they, they dared to do something that you made illegal, I think you've lost the plot. But again, a, a fervent desire to prohibit your fellow Americans from doing something can take you to a very, very dark place. I would argue, however, that those who are truly serious about trying to repeal our right to keep and bear arms are already living in darkness. Uh, and, and I hope, I hope that in the months ahead, Maybe the Supreme Court decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association will shine some light on what it actually means to protect a constitutional right. I don't know that uh, guys like Ted Rall are going to get it. And I can't say that I wish him well in his uh, quest to repeal the Second Amendment. But I do wish he'd give it a try. I, I do. Because after seeing these columns about repealing the Second Amendment, uh, almost ad nauseum, since I've started covering the Second Amendment on a daily basis is way back in 2004. I- I'm to the point of put up or shut up. You want to repeal the Second Amendment? Try it. Let's see what happens. And then when you lose, where do we go from there? Maybe then you will finally accept that, yes, we the people, have a right to keep and bear arms. It shall not be infringed. And my right to protect myself has no more bearing on the actions of violent criminals 
then your ability to post something on Facebook empowers child pornography, right? If you want to go after uh, uh, violent criminals, go. If you want to reduce violent crime, start with the violent criminals. You don't start with the legal law-abiding gun owners. You want to cut down on child pornography? You go after the people who are producing it, who are disseminating it. You don't go after Uncle Ed on Facebook, who's, you know, uh, uh, posting uh, 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 memes and old Garfield cartoons. Not going to work. Again, it's kind of like trying to cut down on uh, cartel violence in Mexico by suing gun manufacturers in the United States. You're missing the problem. You're off target. And uh, that is certainly the case when it comes to the left and its attempt to repeal the Second Amendment. Think it's off base, think it's off target, think it's not going to work. But uh, you know what? If you really think that's what needs to be done, you are more than welcome to try. It's a great thing about this country. You can amend the Constitution. You just have to have enough people to agree with you. When it comes to taking away our right to keep and bear arms, I don't think the prohibitionists have the numbers. Bottom line. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Now, this is not a true recidivist report, but it is disturbing. And I wanted to highlight this case out of California, where a uh, man who was convicted back in 2014, when he was, I think, uh, 15 years old, of uh, what they call a thrill kill case, could soon be set free. So this guy, Jay Williams, um, and his accomplice, Randy Thompson, who was 16, by the way, at the uh, time of this murder, uh, Jay Williams' case has been impacted by this 2018 law in California that says if you're under the age of 16 when you committed a crime, you can't be charged as an adult. Doesn't matter how heinous the crime is, doesn't matter how many people died, doesn't, doesn't matter the circumstances, if you were 15 or younger, you must be tried as a juvenile. So... Even though Jay Williams had already gone to trial, he had already been convicted as an adult, he was sentenced to 26 years in prison, he and every other individual in the California penal system who committed a crime under the age of 16, all of a sudden had their sentences revised, and now they were, they're, they're basically being adjudicated as juveniles. So Williams' sentence is up, and he should be, according to his attorney, he should be released now. Uh, but you've got the state, uh, these prosecutors and uh, uh, others who are trying to keep this guy in some sort of, you know, residential, like halfway home, doing anything they can to prevent this convicted killer from being let out on the street by basically, uh, uh, you know, a, a decade uh, after uh, this crime was committed. Now, I would argue that if we're talking about criminal justice reform, the repeal of this law would be a good place to start. Um, but given the craziness of California, I, I just don't see that happening. Now, today's armed citizen story from the Chicago area where a uh, concealed carry holder able to defend herself uh, against would-be carjackers. This was in the uh, Roseland neighborhood. Um, the woman said that uh, she was getting into her car to parking lot at a Chase Bank. Carjacker approaches her. At gunpoint, woman told CBS2 in Chicago, thank God I had my gun, or I would probably be dead right now. Uh, she said, uh, I had just come out of the bank, I was sitting in my car, about to lock my door to pull off and leave, and he opened my door and he put a gun in my face. 
Now, this woman does have her concealed carry license. One of uh, over, I believe we're up to about 30,000 concealed carry holders in Chicago, in Cook County. And the woman said, when he saw me get mine, he looked surprised. And I started shooting and he started running. He ran. She says she doesn't know how many times she fired. She said, hell no, just started busting. She also says she doesn't know if she hit the would-be carjacker, but she knows that these shots were at very close range. Uh, she then uh, reversed her car, pulled up right outside of the bank, ran inside for help. She says, um, quote, I pray every night that I don't have to shoot nobody. But if I have to, then I'm prepared and I'm ready. So God, I was ready. I'm glad that she was. Again, every there, I have yet to meet a gun owner who says, you know what, first thing I do when I get up in the morning, I put on my gun and I hope, man, today's the day I hope I get to use this. I don't know anybody who thinks that way. Any more than when I walk into the kitchen to help make dinner. I, I never think to myself, oh, I hope today's the day I get to use my fire extinguisher. Hope today's the day I get to test out my homeowner's insurance. I carry a firearm in the hopes that I will never have to use it in self-defense. But I also carry a firearm knowing that those circumstances are largely going to be beyond my control. Right? And we've heard plenty of people, well, Kyle, right now I shouldn't have uh, brought a gun there to the Kenosha Rise. Well, what, what, what are you going to say to this woman? Well, you shouldn't have gone to the bank in broad daylight, lady. What were you expecting in Chicago? No. No. Again, she didn't put herself in those circumstances. It would be carjacker put her in those circumstances where she was forced to protect herself. Thankfully, again, she was able to do so. My hope is that in the coming months, the May issue laws in states like California, New York, New Jersey, and Maryland are going to be struck down by the Supreme Court, and that Americans from coast to coast will be able to easily and lawfully exercise their own right to bear arms in self-defense. Finally today, our good deed of the day from Waukesha, Wisconsin, where an off-duty officer who was there at that Waukesha Christmas parade was able to reunite with a family that uh, he, he helped aid uh, in the uh, chaotic aftermath of that attack. Uh, Gary Wallace is an officer with the Franklin Police Department, but last Sunday he was, uh, well, Sunday before last, he was there at the Waukesha Christmas Parade with his family. His daughter was actually marching with the Girl Scouts in the parade. And then he saw that SUV come speeding down the street, and he said he went into first responder mode and began helping anyone that he saw who was down. He said he noticed a woman who was lying on the ground. There was a young boy holding on to her. He ran over to help. He just got her into a cop car. Just, you know, go. Take her to the hospital. So TMJ, WTMJ in Milwaukee, ran a story on this one. Her name is Marisol Lopez and her son, Adair Rabola Lopez. And after this story aired, one of Gary Wallace's colleagues said, hey, I think this might have been the woman that you helped. And so it sounds like he reached out to the local TV station, was able to get in touch with Marisol Lopez and her son. 
He said, I'm never going to forget what I saw. But when I got the link to this article, to the interview with Marisol, it took a lot of ache out of my heart because I knew at least one person that I tried to help was going to make it. This is the only person that he helped that night that he's been able to actually connect with. And he says he doesn't know how many others are okay, how many others are still in the hospital, if any others passed away. When they reunited, uh, Lopez's family tearfully thanked Gary Wallace for his help that evening. And Marisol Lopez uh, said, you know, on her way to the hospital, she asked, um, who would have done this? And Gary Wallace said, you asked why, and then you told me three times that you'd pray for him. And you wanted him to know that you prayed for him. And Gary Wallace told Marisol Lopez, you inspire me. He said, I've got a lot of work to do to be the kind of person that I need to be for my kids. And he said, I'm just going to try to catch up to you. It was a, a beautiful moment between uh, Marisol Lopez and the man who helped save your life, Gary Wallace. Uh, they both, by the way, say that they're going to look for each other if there is a Christmas parade next year. Sounds like they hope that there will be one, uh, believing that uh, they can overcome the trauma of that day together. So in the right place, at the right time willing and able to do the right thing to help the life of a stranger. Officer Gary Wallace and all of the other countless Good Samaritans who were there that day in Waukesha, Wisconsin. We thank you for your very good deeds. It is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Don't forget to check out BearingArms.com where you can find even more Second Amendment news and information. Uh, you can also become a VIP subscriber at BearingArms.com. Just go to, ready for this, BearingArms.com slash subscribe. There you go. Just that simple. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You'll get a significant discount on your VIP membership. You'll also get exclusive news stories, commentary, analysis, things you won't find anywhere else. It's our way of saying thank you for you showing your support for us and the work we do here, and it really is appreciated. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about, but until then, be well, be safe, and be free. 